Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be today in our text. We are deviating a little bit from the book of John for this Christmas season. We're going to be starting in verse 12. And the topic of our sermon and our series today is overwhelming joy. I'm excited about it. Let's start in verse 12. Paul is writing now, and you need to know that you need to know that Paul is writing this from an actual prison cell. Okay? He's not writing this from a comfortable place, but from a prison cell. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Pause. What's happened to him? Well, he's been beaten, he's been flogged, he's been starved, he's been jailed and shackled. And apparently he's excited about it. Verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. When he talks about his brothers here, he's, he's of course speaking to church planters, missionaries, men that he has raised and trained up uh, for the cause of the gospel, to preach the gospel. And he's saying they've been encouraged, become more bold actually by this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Amen? I love this. He's like, I don't care why somebody's talking about Jesus. I'm just happy that people are talking about Jesus. Uh, Maybe maybe something for us today. I know that a lot of times we get caught up. I got to deviate a little bit. I know that a lot of times we get caught up on denominations, like, well, they're that denomination, or they're this, or they're that, or they're that. Um, Paul would say, I don't care. The gospel's being proclaimed. Jesus is being talked about. And that is what ultimately matters. It's kind of what Paul is saying here. Then he goes on and says this, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then we see this famous verse in verse 21. And I want you, if you could, just to read this with me. He says in verse 21, for, to me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that was a pretty weak showing for a pretty powerful verse. So let's just, for this many people, let's try that again. Paul's words, verse 21, read it with me. For to me to live and to die is gain. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today just thankful for your word, thankful for your spirit, which, which allows us to, to be illuminated by your text. Teach us today, lead us. May we be forever changed. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for how it works in us. Uh, we ask for your presence today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Uh, a lot of work today. I want to get right into it. But before we do, I want to do just a, a quick shout out. You know, we have a lot of our friends and family, church family, that are joining us online. I always want to say this because unless you've had to do church at home online, you don't know how challenging it can be. Um, sometimes you're a congregation of one, maybe two, you and your cat. And uh, that can be a little bit disheartening. And so I wondered if we could maybe uh, encourage and welcome those of us who are joining us online. They're our church family. Can we just welcome them here today? 
I just want to give a, a, a little bit of a shout out. We have a couple of our friends on here. We got Kara Custer who's joining us online, Lee Nash Sr., Hannah Monroe, of course, the bishops holding it down. We have Ira and Lori Levinson, who we love, and on and on and on and on and on. Families and people that you know and who we love who are joining us from home. We just want to welcome them. Glad you're here with us today. Well, this morning I want to encourage you to take some notes. We have a lot of work, as I said, and we're just going to kind of jump into it. Number one, the kind of the point here is the purpose of our lives. You're like, whoa, that's kind of big. Yes, it is. But here's what we need to know. Uh, the purpose of your life, the purpose of my life, the purpose of anything and everything in all of creation is to bring honor and glory to God. Will we agree with that? Amen? It's to bring honor and glory to God. So maybe you've been wondering, well, what's my purpose in life? And ultimately, that is your purpose completely. It's my purpose uh, the satisfaction, maybe you could say it like this, of God's glory as seen through my living and through my dying. Don't miss that. It's a big part of what Paul's going to talk about. God getting and receiving his satisfactory glory through my life and equally through my death. And here's the truth. I want you to write this down. We're a church that worships in spirit and in, and in truth. Write this down. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You say, what do you mean? Well, when I am completely satisfied in God, when I am completely satisfied by God, when I am completely satisfied because of God, God is most satisfied in me. And it is out of this satisfaction and fulfillment through the Holy Spirit, that we experience this amazing thing called joy. It's, it's only through, don't miss this now, I said this, I didn't get any response, so let me just say it again. It is only through the satisfaction of God's glory, through the Holy Spirit, that we actually experience this thing called joy. Now, from the jump, let me just remind you that joy is not an emotion. Joy is better classified as a fruit. What? A fruit? What are you talking about? Well, Scripture says this in Galatians chapter 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Joy is a fruit. And it's a fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. And this is important for us to understand. Because when we hear that as Christians we are to be overwhelmed by joy, it can get a little concerning. I mean, let's be honest. I've been a little overwhelmed this year, but it hasn't been by joy. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm hoping maybe in 21, like, I'm not overwhelmed. I'm hoping I'm not underwhelmed. I'm just looking to be whelmed. You know what I mean? Like, if I could just find somewhere in the middle, I really don't want to be overwhelmed. But we find ourselves being overwhelmed by, by life, right? I would also say this. If this year has shown us anything, I would say that maybe it has it has definitely shown us uh, that we are truly pulling an amount, a strong amount of stock from this world bring us satisfaction as opposed to Christ bring us satisfaction. Would you agree with that? It, it really has exposed the fact that we are looking to this world to give us what we need, looking to the culture of this earth to bring us satisfaction and fulfillment as opposed to, as opposed to, to Jesus. In fact, as we work through our text, we're going to see a few major points jump out at us as it pertains to purpose, glory, Christ, 
and joy. But namely, we're going to discover that true joy takes place when two things take place. Number one, real joy takes place when Christ is more valuable than anything this life can give. And real joy takes place when Christ becomes more valuable than anything this life can take. Let me just say that again. I don't think that we're awake this morning. We're going to wake up just a little bit. Just kind of preach this with me today, okay? To find joy, to receive joy as followers of Christ, Christ must be more valuable than anything this life can give to us. To find joy, to have joy, to know joy, Christ must be more valuable than anything this life can take from us. And until Christ becomes more valuable than anything this life can give or take, joy will always be elusive. Joy will always be just out of our arm's reach. Yes, you might experience happiness and laughter and, and good times and common grace, but joy, joy will be elusive. Joy surpasses these emotions to transcend to something that can only come through the Holy Spirit out of a satisfaction found in Christ. Paul starts out by saying this in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He states, he states literally the purpose of his jailing. He's been in prison because he's teaching about Christ. He won't stop. They said, if you don't stop, we're going to jail you. And Paul's like, I can't stop. I won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop, right? And he just keeps on preaching. And he says, and most of the brothers, they become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. They're speaking bolder without fear. We pick up here with Paul writing from prison, being imprisoned because he's been preaching the gospel. He's been beaten, he's been starved, he's been stoned, and by stoned, I mean that century, not this century's version of stoning, okay? Literally dig a hole, throw rocks at you, that type of stoning, okay? And now he's chained up and locked up, and, and not necessarily a place you wanna be in a third world jail. But notice his focus in verse 12. Look at what he says, verse 12. I want you to know that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. In fact, he says that as a result of himself being imprisoned, the jailers are coming to Christ, prisoners are coming to Christ, and his brothers, pastors, missionaries, outside of the prison walls are gaining courage, confidence to preach more boldly. And Paul is excited about this. Let's just unpack this. Paul's been beaten. Paul's been starved, Paul's been shackled and now in prison, and he's thinking about what? Parole? No. Shawshank Redemption? No. He's not. He's not thinking about escaping. How unfair and unjust the situation is? No. Does Paul cop an attitude and say, well, God, I just don't understand. I feel, like, I feel like I've given you my life and this is how you repay me? No. Paul does none of those things. Not one of those things. None of the things that most likely we would all say to God. None. No, no, no. Paul is focused on Jesus and the advancement of the gospel. And as we are about to read, not only is he thinking about the gospel, but it is in himself creating a resounding joy. The gospel internalized in Paul's life at the strongest point of suffering 
is actually creating the deepest joy. How in the world is this possible? Well, number one, and my only point for today truly, is that Paul realized that Christ is more valuable than anything this life can give. And that Christ is more valuable than anything this life can take. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And understand real quick, that's a precursor to verse 21. He's not saying like, I know because I have faith I'm going to get out of here. No, no, that's not what Paul is saying. When he's speaking about his deliverance, he's saying, one way or another, I'm going to get out of here. I'm either going to get out of here walking or I'm going to go out in a casket. But either way, I will be delivered from this place because of Jesus. Do you see the different perspective that Paul has in this time? Do you see how it's vastly different than the average man or woman would have as they're in prison? He keeps going on and he says this. He says, for I know that through your prayers and help, the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's saying, I really just want to bring honor to God. Like I'm trying to suffer well. I'm trying to not complain. I'm trying to use this for the benefit of the gospel and the furthering and advancement of his kingdom. And I hope that I can bring honor to God through my suffering. Wow. And then he says, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying that his great desire in life is that Jesus would be seen as great. I'm going to ask you, Christian, I'm going to ask you, is that the desire of your life? That Jesus would be seen as great? I know that lots of people try to make a lot of things great, but I want to know if we are concerned with making Jesus be seen as great through our lives, through our actions, through our motives, through our conversation, through our marriage, with our kids, in our work. Are we thinking about the fact that we are to make the name of Jesus great? This is why God created you. This is why God saved you, to make, to make Christ look like what he actually is, supremely great. And nestled between verses 20 and 21, we see the key to understanding how Paul thinks this will happen. He says, whether I live or whether I die, whether I live or whether I die. Verse 23 gives us a little nod to where he'd like to go. He says, it would be easier for me to, to, to depart. Like there's a part of me that's just like, I wish I'd just go to heaven and be with God. Then the suffering would be, be over. But Paul says, whether I live or whether I die, <laughs> well, Christ will look good in my life because for me to live is Christ and, and to die is gain. Paul says this in Philippians 3. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So to Paul, listen now, don't lose this. So to Paul, Jesus is right now, right here, in this very moment, more precious, more valuable, more satisfying than anything this world can give, right now in this moment. Now. We may amen this point, not this morning apparently, but we may normally 
amen this point. We may agree with this point, understand this point, but can I just be really honest with you? Hard love, real talk, we don't get this point. We don't get this point. In fact, the point that we kind of chase after, and we've talked about this many times, is more akin to something that we would call like the when-then myth. Remember we've talked about this before? Well, when I get there, then I'll feel this. When I have her, then I'll be satisfied. When I get him, then I can do this. When I get that amount of money, then I can tithe. When I'm ready, then I'll serve. And we chase the when-then myth, thinking that then I will be satisfied. When I get that, then I will be fulfilled. But the when-then myth is just that. It's a myth. The then is always elusive. There is always a greater then. Do you understand that? There's always another then. Well, I've reached that place, and now I should do this. But, you know, if I just go a little further, then I can. It's a myth. And we completely become obsessed with that. We've all fallen victim to it. All of us, each and every one of us. And I would say when it comes to Paul... His perspective is different. By the way, what do you do with a guy like Paul? What do, you, what do you do with that guy? He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten multiple times. He's been flogged. He's been bitten by animals. He's been imprisoned. He's been jailed. He's been, had rocks thrown at him. And he still says, like, okay, listen, if you're going to kill me, that's, that's going to be a great testimony that my brothers in Christ are going to use to plant churches. So that's okay. Like, but if you let me live, I'm going to go out and I'm going to preach the gospel out in the streets. Oh, you're going to put me in jail? I'm just going to win the jail to Jesus, and I'm going to teach the guards how to make disciples. Like, what do you do with a guy like Paul? What do you do with him? He is a huge hindrance as it pertains to people who are against the gospel. And yet he serves as, as an individual that we should take our cue from. Everything is about advancing the cause of Christ. Everything is, it, is about being satisfied purely through who Jesus Christ is. What do you do with a person that says, regardless of what you take from me, I will have joy, even if it includes up to and including my own death? Church, I wonder, has this year stolen your joy? Has it stolen your joy? I'm not talking about your happiness. I could rob your happiness if I kicked you in the shin. What I'm talking about is this year stealing your joy, that deep, rich emotion that's a fruit, a soul emotion rather, that's a fruit of the spirit. Has that been robbed from you? And if it has, if it has, my question is, is that not a showing of where you've been trying to pull your satisfaction from? Paul also knows that Christ is more valuable than anything this life can take. I mean, let's be honest, as I said, what do you do with a man like Paul? By the way, I wanna illustrate this because I think Paul is hitting on something here that maybe we kind of gloss over. Like, we all know what this life can give to us, and we all know that, that, that Christ should be higher and above, right, the, the things that this life can give to us, but what about the things this life can take from us? Let's be honest, some of us have lost a lot this year. As I sit here preaching to you, I'm looking out, and some of you I know have lost your business. Life took that from you. Some of you have lost family members. I have. This year has robbed me of family members that I love dearly. The funerals were weird. I couldn't go to their graveside. 
Right now, currently, my, my, my in-laws, their, their friend is in the hospital, completely uh, uh, segregated off, can't even see his wife or even be around. This is, this is a strange time. It's a difficult time. Life is taking things from us. And maybe if we were to list a thi- uh, 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 make a list of things that this life um, would take from us, and we hate to say these things, but what are the things in our life that are of importance? Well, first, maybe if you're, if you're married, you have your spouse, right? Maybe your children, your kids, maybe your job. That's an important one. These are all important. Uh, maybe it's a career. Maybe it's different from your job. Maybe it's you got a side hustle. Uh, maybe, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, Ohio State, you know, these things, whatever is most important to you. I'm just saying, the God's team. Um, my question would be this. If these are the things that we have, what happens when life takes them from us? What are you left with? You know, when, God forbid, this happens. If that happens, you lose a spouse. How does it change your perspective on Christ? What about if you lose a child? There is no greater pain than losing a child. What about job? What about career? What about Ohio State cancels their season? What Paul is saying is that even if this life takes everything from me, if I still have Jesus, this is a gain. Paul is saying, even if you take the things from me that I hold most dear, the fact that I have Jesus means that I have gain. In other words, it doesn't matter what you give me. It doesn't matter what you take from me. My joy comes from something greater, something you can never take, which is Jesus. And as long as I have Jesus, my life has meaning. As long as I have Christ, my life has merit. Come on, church. As long as I have Jesus, it is of gain. This year has challenged this for all of us. I'm going to close with this this morning. This year has challenged not this concept, not this idea, but this command. And each and every one of us, in various ways, in different ways, some of you watching at home online, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you business owners who can barely venture out of your home or your businesses will be shut down. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you who have lost loved ones, those of you who, this whole thing has created a rift even in your own family, maybe even your own husband and wife. You know what I'm talking about. So this morning, in a world that has robbed us of so much, what it should never be able to rob us of is our joy. And so this morning, if you find yourself in a place where you're, I'm not talking about happiness. We don't have to enjoy this year. We don't have to be like, I'm great, this is wonderful. No. But there should be a deeper joy. You say, from what? From knowing Jesus. From knowing this world is not my home. From knowing that this is not what eternity looks like. From knowing that Christ will return one day. And he will wipe every tear from every eye and take every sickness away. And we will never deal with it again. I'll never be separated from loved ones again because of Jesus. 
That's where I find my joy. That's where I place my hope. And you can't do anything about that. You can beat me, you can flog me, you can imprison me, but you can't take that from me. And that is Paul's message. And that should be an encouragement and an indictment, both to all of us. If you would, I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're joining us at home, do the same. If you're joining us while driving, uh, focus on the road. For those of us with our eyes closed, our heads bowed, meditate inside of your heart right now, review. And I want you to ask yourself, am I feeling a lack of joy? I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. Because Christian, if there is not a deep resounding sense of joy in your life, the fault does not lie with God. Now listen to me very closely. Listen to me very closely. That fault does not lie with Jesus. That fault does not lie with your spouse as much as you'd like to blame them for. It doesn't rest on your children as much as you'd like to peg it to them. No. The fault is our own. And it is a fault that we must repent of. It is an issue that is deep inside of our soul that we must allow the Holy Spirit to work on. You know, Hebrews 4, 12, it tells us the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the very dividing asunder of a man's soul and spirit, his bone and his marrow. And it's executing this idea that God's word is like a surgery. It enters in and it pierces us and destroys the impurities. And then it comes back out and it sews us up to heal. And I want to encourage you today to read through Philippians this week chapter one, and allow it to do surgery on your heart. Allow it to produce a new joy inside of you. Father, we come to you today thanking you for your word. We love you. We bring you glory. May our lives exist to only bring you glory. Change us, give us a renewed sense of joy and we will praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.